Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to The Verge Cast. My name is Dieter Bone, and it is Tuesday, which means that we are doing a run of special episodes. You may have heard a bunch of the episodes that Ashley Carmen did about AI. They are amazing. For basically the rest of the year, we're going to do some focused episodes on a bunch of different topics, some of which I'm very excited about. I'm also excited about today's topic, which is, I'm just going to call it the, the surface stravaganza because Surface Spectacular is too obvious. We have an amazing group of guests here. We have Dan Seifert. Hi, I'm here. Monica Chin. Hello. And Tom Warren. Hello. And we are going to talk about all of the Surface devices that just came out. All of us have uh, reviewed one of them. And we also have Windows 11 to discuss. So it's going to be a fun conversation, especially because we're just going to jump right into Windows 11. And what's more fun than Windows 11, Tom, honestly? Anything? Windows 11 ice cream (laughs) or Windows 11 60 animated music festival with an NFT free. I think those are kind of fun. Yeah, this is (laughs) worth talking about. So Microsoft famously had like the Rolling Stones launch Windows 95, massive, huge launch, the Friends cast doing (laughs) infomercials for it. And nothing has ever lived up to that. But this year, the launch uh, was weird because one... We were promised that Windows 10 was the last version of Windows, and that turned out not to be true. Uh-oh. But two, it's been in like a big public beta for a long time, and we all sort of knew it was coming, and we thought there was going to be like a different version of it for foldables, and it just sort of like rolled out over time, and then it landed with um, custom ice cream and an <laughs> NFT. Is that is that about the, the size of this launch, would you say, Tom? Yeah, the launch is like, I appreciate that Microsoft's not doing in-person events at the moment and stuff, obviously, right. for the pandemic, but that launch event was super weird. They could have just not done anything, which I I didn't think they were doing anything until like hours before when they suddenly sent all this ice cream out to people and um, directed people to this website. I watched it at like 1 a.m. my time last night and I was just like, the hell is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to to mint these NFTs, which were basically just promo links to Amazon and Walmart entries for laptops, like $100 off. There's such a missed opportunity here for them to do a Spinal Tap collaboration joke because they were turning it up to 11 (laughs) and they just, they didn't do it. I think they probably had a marketing budget and they were probably at one point thinking they were going to have an in-person event and then they were like, let's give away ice cream and (laughs) NFTs. That sounds cool. So the Windows 11 review and the the fact that you can maybe get it right now is fascinating because we have been living with it for so long. You in particular have been living with it for so long. And so it's a big release, but it's also... I don't know. It feels like a weird one because, again, like we were expecting them to stick with Windows 10 for a long time. And it also feels like it's not so much a giant splashy release where everything changes now as it is like it's a moment in time as they're developing it. And they just picked this particular moment to say it's official. Yeah, it's essentially like, like, like I said in the review, really, it's unfinished. Personally, I also feel like they've they've kind of rushed it yeah. to to that day, and I'm not I'm not entirely sure why. Like I think we spoke about this on the Vergecast every week. It's driven by like a refresh cycle for PCs and stuff. I think that day, right? But yeah, it's it's very unfinished. Doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just not a kind of I think what people we were expecting. 
the consistency the ui changes aren't aren't quite there there's some missing features and like the rest of it's like great like it's it feels modern i think in in most parts until you sort of like scratch under the surface and you're like oh, i need to change something with my mouse and it's like ah winter, <laughs> windows 95 and <laughs> like you know the rolling stones um, yeah and all that sort of stuff that is very much windows 11 like they, they've done a bunch of blog posts and videos of like how they've you know how like designers sit around in these really fancy rooms like right with the, perfect lighting and they're all like this is you know this is how we've designed this this amazing <laughs> bloom wallpaper it's why every single detail matters from the tiniest hinge to every pixel you will see on the display to every piece of the experience that flows across windows 11 are designers not allowed to yell? Do they have to whisper? <laughs> no, they have to like really radio voice. Um, they've done loads of all that sort of stuff. And then it's like, you know, like you can imagine a TikTok video of it, right? It'd be like that yeah. video. And then it'd be like a really horrible noise going <laughs> when you open like like the, the, the mouse settings or something. Like I haven't upgraded on my main PC, which I, I said in the review. And I did like a really angry rant. I hate the Windows 11 taskbar the other week. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, everyone's kind of saying the same thing. Right. Like a lot of people are missing this taskbar. Yeah. There, there's a million of these things that we need to get into, but we should just, for those who are unfamiliar or who are holding off on updating, what's like the top line three or four things that Windows 11 is supposed to do compared to Windows 10? Yeah. So like there is a bunch of good stuff in there. So like a Snap Assist and Snap Layouts and Snap Groups, they, they keep sort of interchanging the Snap Assist and Snap Layouts thing. But let's just call it Snap. Yeah. That feature, you've obviously been able to snap Windows side by side in, in Windows for, for years. But now it's like it makes it a lot easier and it surfaces stuff that perhaps you need to know gestures for or keyboard shortcuts and, you know, like power user features right to the to the front. You, you hover over the maximize button and it's all quite there. And, you know, the, I think that genuinely will improve your Windows usability for a bunch of people who, who use it daily and that perhaps never knew that stuff existed. So I think that's good. The new Windows Store, although it's still a little bit clunky here and there. Um, it looks a lot better. It's a little bit easier to navigate around. It feels like it responds a bit quicker. But most importantly, it's a little bit more open, so there's more apps in it. So it's like actually a place that you can go to and go, okay, I need Zoom. Click install. Right. Don't have to worry, like, what XE I'm downloading or whatever. Yeah. You're, you're trusting, like, Microsoft, you know, verified them all. Um, and Discord and just a bunch of stuff like Opera. I think uh, Mozilla announced today or the other day that Firefox is going to be in there. Not Chrome, of course. No Chrome yet. No. Ah. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, though. Like, I, I feel like it will. They might as well. Yeah. Like, it's just another a point for Google to, to be in. Although, you know, the Mozilla Firefox thing, it's kind of interesting because Firefox has obviously worked around the browser restrictions thing. Right. So they can one click and set default. So I'm curious if that's if Microsoft's going to allow it in the store. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, I mean, it would be hilarious to have Chrome in the store and then you can't change the default browser <laughs> after you install <laughs> yeah, Chrome. Very easily. <laughs> I was having trouble doing it. Like, when, because I always, whenever I set up a new PC, I always make Chrome the default, but it's a lot harder to do in settings now. You have to scroll through, like, several more things to do it. <laughs> yeah, so basically, when you, when you install a new browser now, like, you, you'll click on a link, like, say, from the mail app or something, it'll be like, oh, you've got a new browser. Um, do you want to open it in this browser or keep using Edge? And then if you don't tick, always, open it in this browser which is a really kind of you know small option at the bottom if you don't do that i miss it every time you never get that option again yeah (laughs) you have to go and dig into these crazy settings and but microsoft ceo sachin adela says that windows 11 is the most operating most open operating system ever so (laughs) yeah there's that i mean there's um, also that well i mean it does run a bunch of linux stuff and in theory it's someday it's going to run android apps right yeah there's one update per year for windows 11 so i think in a year probably right (laughs) realistically on that but yeah like so the windows store is there that's that's a good one the new ui is good i think like uh, overall like i like the rounded corners and the sort of like depth and color that they've Mm -hmm. put on all the apps in the operating system in general i think that's all great but to be honest there's not much there to actually say oh you should get windows 11 because of this um i think there would be if they had some of the features that they actually promised for there dynamic refresh rate oh we are gonna get to that we've we've got three (laughs) hours planned to talk about refresh rates (laughs) on the surface extravaganza (laughs) it's gonna be very exciting i want to get into so it's got this new look it's not a reason to upgrade but it's nice even though gets rid of some taskbar functionality but every year with a windows redesign every time there's a windows redesign going back to at least vista 
it's been, well, the new stuff looks nice, but as soon as you dig two levels deep into settings, you're looking at the old stuff. Yeah. And I feel like that's like it's gone from a complaint to just like, I don't know, it's an accepted part of Windows. Is it a thing that we should still <laughs> complain about? Is it a thing that still bothers you? Is it a thing that they need to fix? Or is it just, yep, that's that's just how Windows is. There's always there's always a weird, you know, box that was designed in 1995 sitting in there somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the whole thing about Windows is so weird because it's like there's always like three or four ways to do things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can pull up the file explorer by clicking on the button or you can press Windows key and E, for example. Like that's that's a, that's a shortcut. Um, and it's just a variety of ways to navigate around to the point where you sometimes stumble across stuff that's like so old. Yeah. And it's so easy to stumble across it if you are a power user, especially. But I feel like they're, they're getting so close to like being where a point where they don't surface that stuff as much. So it kind of does go into the background and it can just sort of sit there. Like, I don't mind that it's there. I think it's it's cool that they have all this backwards compatibility and stuff. But I just don't want to see it when I'm like trying to figure out my mouse settings. Like, here's the most insane thing about Windows, right? So I switch between, well, I used to switch between Windows and Mac a lot. Uh-huh. So I in Windows, I would change my scroll direction on my, on my scroll on my mouse. Uh-huh. just to match the Mac, because I kind of got used to the Mac way of doing it. Yep. Now, in, in Windows, I can't do that unless I dig into the registry and, and set it. Really? Yeah, unless your mouse manufacturer has enabled it in their custom app settings or whatever, there's no way to do it through Windows. And now, if I install a monthly update in Windows 11, so I've been trying out all the dev betas, it resets that those registry keys that I've switched every time there's a monthly update. So I'm like... this was point in your review tom is that there's like that is an example there's another other like what we're kind of used to on other platforms other modern os's things that you know windows still doesn't have like it doesn't automatically switch between light and dark mode based on time of day like you, you can't do that you have to manually change your settings on that and it's like Every mobile OS does that. Mac OS does that. Like everyone is accustomed to that feature by now. The something yeah. like uh, you know we talked about seeing the Windows ninety five UI. Well, now we've got Windows ninety five UI, Windows ninety eight UI, Windows XP UI, Windows seven UI, Windows eight UI, Windows ten UI, and Windows eleven <laughs> UI. And so when you change volume in Windows eleven, you get the Windows eight volume box, which looks so out of place in the Windows eleven UI. It's just like these are little things that you might not notice right away, and really does it ruin your experience probably not but it's just like why well why didn't they finish that like it's 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 not like they don't have a lot of people working on this stuff and so like why why aren't these things kind of addressed and it's just kind of weird and every time there's a new version of windows they just pile on more and more and then it's just like and the dark mode is a good point of that like so, Mm. so i put the dark mode on like the whole time if i do start and run it's like light mode and then if i go into task manager it's like light mode it's just light mode like basically half the operating system and half is dark mode it's just it's really inconsistent and i kind of hate that because i've been trying to dark mode everything on my computer because if i'm working late at night it's like it really is pretty jarring if you're if you're not in dark mode but that yeah that inconsistency is just it's just disappointing i think they could have given it a bit more time i think um i i appreciate that with windows 10 they went to like this whole you know cumulative updates and monthly updates and every six months there's a bigger update but i don't think that's reason to ship this in in quite the way that they have well do you think that they are thinking about windows 11 in the same way that they thought about windows 10 where they they did have all these you know little updates or are they you mentioned they're moving to like a more of a yearly big update cadence so yeah to me part of you wants to be like well Windows is like Chrome OS. There's like there's a new version all the time, and sometimes they make a big deal out of it. And uh, mm-hmm. the fact that this was the launch is like, well, it's not finished, but like Windows is never finished. It's 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 in all of our hearts, and that's that's truly what it is. It's an ongoing project forever and ever, and so it's fine. Or is it more? No, no, they had a deadline and they missed it. And so they rushed to finish some stuff and they just super didn't finish other stuff. Yeah. So I, I feel like, so when they released the beta, it was basically the operating system was final then. Right. In like relative terms, because the way that they're actually servicing it is they're doing these things called cumulative updates on top. There's like a package of fixes and changes. Yep. So I feel like they're going to do that a lot more now. So it's going to be a monthly thing. The weirdest part about all of this, right, is that I never run a beta operating system on my main PC. Sure. But if I was to upgrade to Windows 11 on my main PC, I think I'd probably want the beta version. Interesting. Which is strange because it has all the fixes, it has all the latest changes um, Mm. and improvements and stuff. They've said they're doing one big sort of major update a year, but I feel like we'll still get like bigger changes 
you know, in the, in the coming months and stuff. Right. I would imagine there's going to be some of that taskbar stuff. I feel like they're going to, you know, I know that internally they have builds where dark mode is a lot better. They mm. just obviously weren't quite ready to, to ship it in um, the other day. So I feel like that stuff's all going to come. But I don't, don't think we'll have to wait a year for it. Okay, we should talk about the taskbar. It's in the middle now, but they also stripped out a bunch of functionality. Yes. I mean, pull pull the room. Who is happy with the taskbar? I hate it. You hate it? <laughs> is it the design or is it the, the fact that you can't drag and drop icons or what? So what I hate is that I am a religious um, user of the search bar. Like every time I need to find something, I search for it. I don't use file folders, stuff like that. I search for everything. And it used to be so large, and now it's this tiny little thing in the middle of a sea of these other icons. And it's just slightly hard for me to find, but I use it so often that it, like, adds time to my day. I want that to be, like, half of my taskbar again. I uh, don't mind it because, one, I've, I have never put the Windows taskbar on the side or the top, which you can't do anymore. But uh, I've never done that. So it's always been at the bottom for me. I like having all the icons in the middle. I find that it's just, like, easier for me to click them, especially I'm using a, a big ultra widescreen monitor a lot of times. And when the taskbar is like all the way in the lower left yeah. corner, it's hard for me to find. So uh, in the middle is a little bit easier for me. I think that the widgets are extremely stupid. <laughs> and I think that <laughs> like certain things, like you mentioned, drag and drop icons would be nice and stuff like that. But like in general, the things that slow me down are on the lower right corner, the new action center options or whatever. It's harder to get to. I'm having so much trouble with those. <laughs> yeah, it's harder to get to the apps that are running and things like that. I can't like, pin them as easily. I can't change things like my Wi-Fi network settings or my Bluetooth settings as easily. I end up having to go into the settings menu. Mm -hmm. So there's a bunch of like little things that add up. But I think the most offensive thing of it is that the uh, chat icon forces Teams on me and I can't right click and remove that. I have to yes. literally go into settings and turn off a toggle for the chat icon that I have no interest in ever using. It's the most open operating system ever with equal access to all apps. Damn. I do like that they change the colors in the settings so that it's like a little easier to see what all the the categories are on the left side mm -hmm. but I do I still find settings like as difficult if not more difficult to navigate as it was before but now I am in it like all the time because <laughs> so many of the things I used to access not in settings I now have to dive in to find one thing Tom you brought up there seems to be an inspiration from mobile operating systems and this is a this is a theme across mm -hmm. Mac and Windows and even Chrome OS honestly where a bunch of the Interaction models and features seem like they're designed for people that are used to, I don't know, more phone or tablet stuff. So like the centered dock, the the centered start menu. For me, the big one is the widgets. Um, I don't like the new taskbar slash start menu because I'm the guy who likes live tiles still. I'm 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 the one who what? thinks that they're useful <laughs> and I, they're more useful than the widgets in their current state. And that that whole widget bar is just part and parcel just, oh, people on phones have accepted that we can throw a bunch of news updates and vague ads on our own personal information left of the home screen. So we're just going to do that on Windows. And like all of those widgets are useless to me um, in a way that, that LiveTiles, at least you could pretend that there was going to be some some utility there. I don't use widgets on my phone either, to be fair. So well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The only one that's actually useful is weather. And that <laughs> used to be slightly useful because it was in the taskbar. But yes, they were like, true. nope, let's go hide it away again. Yeah. <laughs> so you can go see the rain on the side. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, you know my thoughts about the taskbar, but I will say that the, the main thing about the taskbar for me is it's ruined my sleep. <laughs> and, and, and I say that because if I'm playing a game at, like, midnight, <laughs> before I know it, it's, like, 3 or 4 a.m., and I haven't realized because my damn clock is not on my <laughs> second monitor anymore. It's disappeared. <laughs> so, like, that's my main gripe with it. I can probably work around the other stuff. I can buy you a clock, Tom. Like, I can. I can. <laughs> I know, but it's not. It's not natural for me. It's like I just look <laughs> to my other monitor for the time. Like when I have a full screen app. So, mm. but yeah, like the widgets. Like, there's no third-party widgets in there. Nope. I don't know whether they're ever going to extend it to allow that. And they force you into Edge. Yep. It's like, those things are troublesome. And then it's powered by, like, this whole AI engine, MSN underneath for the news. Yep. Which, to be honest, <laughs> like, they surface a lot of junk in there. Mm -hmm. and, and they have, like, they, they used to have human editors in there that would curate pretty okay content, I guess. It, it was a lot better than it is now. And they have, like, fired them all. And I think yeah. I heard recently that I think they're all gone now. Where have I heard that story before? Yeah. <laughs> I'll just tell you right now, one of the top widgets is uh, big alligator eats small alligator. 
<laughs> that one I might use. I would click. I would click that. <laughs> that sounds more useful than weather. Last thing on Windows, I mean, there's so many things we could do, but where do you feel like the upgrade situation has netted out? Because there's a whole lot of, oh, you got to have the modern processor, it's got to support these security features, and everyone's real mad, and then maybe you can like fix it, and then Microsoft had mixed messaging, and well, it's here now. What is the story with upgrades? Where is it actually landing? Is it landing in, eh, it's fine, or is it landing in, I don't know, this is a fiasco? I know, people, people are pissed. Like, okay. People are really <laughs> angry, uh, and then particularly... I think from what I hear from most people is that it's, it's seventh gen. Because mm-hmm. I think people have, have, I don't think people are really necessarily still on the fifth or sixth gen really expecting a new Windows. But I think the seventh gen people particularly are annoyed because I think that was when people like last did the big, you know, core and iron refresh on their, yeah. on their machine. Um, so those people are annoyed uh, that they can't get the upgrade. But like the way it's netted out is essentially it's eighth gen and, and newer with the exception mm-hmm. of the Surface Studio chip that for some reason... Is seventh gen and supported. It wasn't it like sixth gen? Jeez, that thing was ancient. <laughs> yeah, like I wonder why that's supported. Perhaps because it's still being sold, and it'd be weird, weirdly <laughs> 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 embarrassing. But like the the Surface Go, the old the original Surface Go, which is only three years old, and you could have mm. paid seven hundred dollars for it with a keyboard, is not eligible to upgrade for Windows eleven. And there's no like easy bypass there. Uh, it is just like the processor's too old and too slow tough noogies, which is like kind of weird because all of our experience testing Windows 11 across a wide variety of machines, obviously, Tom, you tested a bunch, but we also pulled the staff and we had at least a dozen people using Windows 11 on a wide variety of machines. Nobody had any performance issues compared to Windows 10. Like Mm -hmm. it performs just fine. So it's very odd that there's like this, you know, I understand there's a security level part of it, but there also seems to be like a performance ceiling that Microsoft wants your processor to be above in order to install Windows 11, which doesn't really make a ton of sense for considering based on our experience so far, at least. The security related stuff and, and their big security push, like I totally see where they're coming from. They do need to push like uh, the Windows hardware along. And I think what we'll see is in time, they will enable some of these security options where it will probably make sense like, uh, okay, if I did have that enabled on my older, you know, seventh gen process and then it would actually have performance impacts there's been like a story floating around over the past week that if you enable vbs which is their their their, um, virtualization based security if you enable that then you get like performance drops of like 20 or 30 percent in games so that's like problematic so they've gotten this massive like white dock that they released yesterday of like all this security things and like reading through it it's like it's really well put together and i could see their point and, and why they've done it I just think they didn't very they didn't communicate it very well, and there was all that confusion around TPM 2.0 and all that sort of stuff. And I think in time we'll look back at this and go, that was controversial, but it kind of made sense, right? Like I, th- I think when when we're in ten years and Windows machines are all getting hacked to pieces or or some aren't because of these security things, we'll be like, okay, that was the point in time where like they tried to shift things, and okay, kind of made sense. That's what I predict anyway. I mean, the thing with Windows is actually, in some ways, to me, it's like Android. It's it's just it's part of the furniture. It's like a it's like the base state that like majority of people use. So we're going to get into how it's instantiated on Surface devices and how that's very interesting this year. But Monica, you have reviewed more Windows computers in the last year and a half than I will in my lifetime. Do you anticipate that Windows 11 is going to looking at all the different kinds of laptops and tablets and convertibles and desktops and everything that you touch going to make an appreciable difference? Or is it like, yep, it's a new version of Windows. It looks nicer. It has a few new things. But fundamentally, this is like still the same furniture. Yeah, I mean, it has definitely changed my experience in that as a laptop reviewer, the biggest difference is made for me, and I recognize this is a me, very specific me thing, is that Cortana no longer screams at you every time <laughs> you set up a new computer. It's no longer like, hi there, I'm Cortana, and I'm here, which I hear in my nightmares. Hi there, I'm Cortana, and I'm here to help. A little sign in here, a, a touch, touch of Wi Fi. It's a little sign in here, a touch of Wi Fi there. I can recite the whole thing. I hate her. She's gone. And I'm very, very happy about that. Do you remember that video on Twitter with like 20 or 30 machines all doing it? Yes, like oh yeah, a few seconds. <laughs> this is the absolute if, nightmare. If, that it's, it's, I hear it in my dreams every night. Um, but I'm very, very happy that's gone. There is still someone who talks to you, but she's like, 
quiet. It's not the kind of thing where like people walking by you like jump and are like, what's that? Which is like what used to happen every time I turned yeah. on a new computer. So yeah. I'm very glad they removed that. Again, that's a that's a kind of a niche thing. But um, otherwise, I mean, I think it has been a little bit more annoying to set some things up. I still haven't figured out like the easy way to make Chrome the default, which is annoying. I, I think getting the machines up to where I need them to be um, is just a little bit more difficult. Now, it's hard to know, honestly, and hard to predict how much of that is like muscle memory that I'm just going to get accustomed to after being in Windows 10 for so long, and how much of that is actually like they made this harder to put on the settings that I need. Yeah. Um, it's a little harder to change the battery profiles, like those kinds of things. But I mean, I think I, I, I like Snap Layouts a lot. I'm with Tom. I think once you sort of figure out how to use it and get adept with that, will probably make a difference in the way my workflow is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's sort of, that's the other main thing. I like having the taskbar in the center. I think it makes it look more like Chrome OS, which also for me as a reviewer is just helpful <laughs> in having consistency yeah. of experience. I got to say snap layouts, snap all the auto snap stuff is the best window management thing I've used in maybe years. It's the first time that I have sort of had an OS arrange stuff for me where I was like Oh, I get how that works. Oh, I'm going to use this all the time now. There was a moment where I had like the bigger window on the left and then a smaller window on the right. And it just like remembered that I didn't want to have it be split 50-50, that it wanted it that way and that I could come back to that. And it did it in a way that was automatic in like an opposite of clippy way, you know, where it wasn't like, I'm going to be helpful. And I'm like, I hate you so much. Stop (laughs) trying to help. It just did it in a way that was like, oh, I get this. This works. And it's my favorite part. It's interesting because there were some... OEMs that sort of had third-party things that were doing that. So Asus, on its dual-screen machines, for example, there was a whole thing called tab groups where you can, like, have one group for when you're working and one group for when you're playing games, and it remembered where all of them were. And that kind of thing was very cool. Um, And I don't know, like, that's the kind of thing that should just everyone should have. So I'm glad it's finally on Windows now. Uh, All right. We are going to take a break, and we're going to come back, and it is time to genuinely get into the heart of this episode the stravaganza of surfaces. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we are back, and it is time to talk the device that I'm most excited about, the Surface Pro 8. What do we think? It's good. Yeah? I I think that Microsoft, the Surface Pro 7, for a while, has been a powerful device that has had the same design, has had a four-year-old design. I mean, it looks just like something that was made in 2015 because it basically is they didn't change very much about the design since the 4 and the kind of 5. The Surface Pro X was sort of the opposite of that. It had an ARM chip that was pretty slow, and there was a lot of stuff you couldn't run, but it was in a really nice-looking chassis. So mm-hmm. I talked to a lot of people like who would ask me, like, should I get the 7 or should I get the X? I want something powerful. I want something that looks nice, and neither of these quite fill that, which was correct. So finally, <laughs> I think Microsoft 
combined those two things and made sort of what all these people really wanted, which is a device that looks like the Surface Pro X and but actually has a processor in it that can, you know, do powerful loads and games and all the stuff that people actually want. So th- th- this is the Surface Pro we've been waiting for for at least a couple years. Um, we've been, I know Tom in his review of the Surface Pro 7 begged Microsoft to make it look like a Surface Pro X. We've been asking for that for a while and they finally did it. Was it primarily the the larger screen for you? I, a bunch of the other redesigns, like there's internal stuff, there's Thunderbolt, hooray. Um, there's some screen like tech stuff that we definitely need to get into. But the, the basic shape and functionality of the thing is like it's a surface. They yeah. didn't fundamentally change that. They they made the screen bigger and they they, they fixed the keyboard, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. <laughs> is that the is that the main thing, or is there some other sense of like the surfaces four through seven felt tired in some other way that really needed to be addressed? The main thing is the bezels. Mm. It had very chunky side bezels before. The top one and the bottom one are still kind of big, which, I mean, you need something to hold it when you're using it as a tablet, so that makes sense. But the side ones are um, significantly thinner. The keyboard still covers the bottom bezel without covering some of the taskbar, which was the problem on the Surface Pro X. Um, So really from the front, it looks like you're looking at like a Dell XPS 13 or, you know, something that was made in 2021. Right. There's also the material is not as bad with the fingerprints. That was a big issue okay. um, with the, the previous material the chassis was made out of. And the keyboard is now a carbon fiber core. Um, so it's a lot stiffer. It's not sliding around. It's not, I think it's much sturdier, I think, as a whole. Yeah. I, I mean, there are Surface keyboard decks where you, if you like set it on one leg and like rest your hands on it, you can click the mouse. Yeah. It still happens with the Go 3. <laughs> that happened to me as well. Yeah. That's completely gone with this new deck from what I could tell, which is very exciting. And the port selection, it's two USB-C Thunderbolt 4 ports now, um, which is right. a, more, they there used to be an USB-A on there and that it, they've modernized that. Yeah. But there is still the Surface Fin if you want it, which isn't Thunderbolt, but has very similar capabilities, I guess. The thing that's interesting about Surface is, I don't know, with the Pixel and with Google and the Nexus phones and the Pixel, it's like, well, okay, there's a new version of Android, and this is the the thing that we're going to use to showcase a new version. And Microsoft doesn't have a new version of Windows often enough, as often as they cycle through Surfaces. But this year, it feels like they were trying to have a moment where, like, Windows 11 is here, and so is the Surface Pro 8, which is awesome for Windows 11. Did those two things feel like they cohered together into, like, a moment, or did they just happen to be a coincidence around the same time? You know, I think it would have more if the dynamic refresh rate feature actually worked. <laughs> okay, we got. Let's just get into it. We've been teasing it for like fifteen <laughs> minutes. What is the story with dynamic refresh on the Surface Pro? Because they say it has a hundred twenty hertz display, but when they announced it, I was like. Oh, 120 hertz display. That's great. Wait, it says default in parentheses after that every time they mention it. What does that mean? So what what does that mean? So they've been telling us that we've been hearing that uh, Windows 11 is going to have this dynamic refresh rate feature that will automatically switch if your screen is supports 120 hertz refresh rate. It will mm-hmm. automatically switch your screen between 120 hertz and 60 hertz based on what you're doing. So you know, if you're playing a game, for example, it will put you in 120. If you're like doing something where the refresh rate wouldn't matter, it'll put you at 60. The Surface Pro 8 was released with a 120 hertz refresh rate screen. It has 120 hertz refresh rate. Seems like that would be a great you know, device to take advantage of the dynamic refresh rate feature. It seems perhaps the best device to sh- take advantage of that feature. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, it's not there. Uh, so you can't you can't use it. Um, we don't know if it's going to be on there. We don't know when it's going to be on there. If it is, they've not told us that. So what we have is essentially any other 120 hertz laptop. You know, it is a screen that supports 120 hertz. If you want to switch it down to 60, you can switch it down to 60. That's also true if you're using like a razor blade or like any other, you know, all laptops have that capability. So right. it's less unique in that respect without that special Windows 11 feature. Um, and, you know, changing refresh rate is like kind of a pain. You have to go into settings, you have to go to display settings, you have to go to advanced display settings, you have to scroll down, and then it's like you have to confirm your changes. Like it's this whole thing. You're probably not going to want to do it a lot. I-, I think that this would have been a great opportunity to showcase that big feature of Windows 11, but it does not seem to be there. For default, so it is 60 hertz out of the box. If you want to make it 120, you have to go go through, you have to jump through all the settings hoops and change it to 120. But I think it's it's probably 60, I guess, so that it doesn't kill the battery life of people who don't really know what 120 hertz means or care about it, I guess. Right. Uh, so, okay, does does it does it kill a battery life if you go through the hoops? So, no, it did, honestly didn't kill it. I mean, I was seeing around eight and a half hours at 60 and about seven at 120. Okay. So, if I were using this as my personal device, I would probably leave it at 120 and I would eat the hour and a half of battery life. But 
Yeah. Um, you know, I wish that uh, I didn't have to make that choice. <laughs> I mean, I'm a high refresh rate person. I haven't had it on a laptop really yet. And so getting it there, I, I, once I get it, once I get a higher refresh rate, I don't want to go back. Exactly. Yeah. It's like with the iPhones this year. I've been I've been telling people for years that higher refresh rate was better. And they're like, yeah, it doesn't matter. With iPhone's fine. And then everyone very quietly this year is like, oh, wait, no, it matters. But not really because <laughs> it does. I was curious because you know, I mostly have encountered 120 hertz refresh rates in the context of gaming laptops. I was like, right. oh, is this really going to matter if I'm like scrolling through Google Docs? But it totally does. I mean, once I used it one time, I was like, and then I went back to 60. I was like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> I'm going back to 120. <laughs> so is this just another matter of Windows 11 isn't finished? Or is it a another thing that Microsoft also tends to do, which is uh, they've got a hardware device and they get it out the door, but there's like software patches, you know, that they like need to get out right after it's released or right before it's released. Is it a, is it a surface thing or a windows thing? Uh, as far as I know, it's a Windows thing. I mean, like they have not—they have not given us any information. Maybe Tom knows more. But um, in my conversations with with OEMs, asking like, "Hey, are you guys gonna are, are you guys gonna be making stuff that supports this?" They have yeah. no timeline either. From like everyone that I've heard from has told me like, "We have no idea when we're gonna have this feature <laughs> or when we're gonna be making stuff that has this feature." I, they might. I, it seems to me like they are just as in the dark as we are. Yeah, it's it's definitely a Windows thing. Yeah, like they they just. They just don't have it ready in time. So, like the universal mute button as well. Right. <laughs> I to mention that earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to sprinkle throughout this podcast, like missing Windows 11 features. <laughs> Random things that they said they'd do. It's going to pop up and be like, did you know? <laughs> but hey, the sounds are a little quieter now. Oh, yeah. There you go. The sounds are really nice, actually. The sound scheme in Windows 11 is, yeah, it is really nice. It's... So at least they did that. One of the big things with the Pro 8 that you mentioned is that it is that X chassis with modern performance in it. So how has the performance been? I, it's got an 11th gen processor in it, right? Like, is it, yep. can we game on this thing now? Is it like smoking other computers that are in this like kind of thin and light class? Like, what was your experience there? Yeah, so this thing is fast. There are two processors you can choose. You can choose the Core i5 or the Core i7. The Core i7 that this thing has is the... It's essentially the top processor that Intel makes for thin and light laptops. So there's like technically one that's a little more powerful. I think it's literally only in one MSI laptop. Like nobody uses it. This is like this is what's in the Dell XPS 13. This is what's in the Lenovo Yoga 9i. This is what's in like the best 13-inch laptops that you can buy. Right. Like this is as good as you're gonna get. Um, and it was it was fast. I mean, I I was putting it through Zoom calls on top of Chrome tabs on top of Spotify streams. Like I was doing stuff that like all kinds of other machines you would see some slowdown or you would see some crackling. Um, this it did not break a sweat. It wasn't super hot. Like it was sometimes a little toasty, but I wasn't getting bombarded by fan noise. I wasn't, it, it wasn't like heating up the table. Mm-hmm. It did a good job. Yeah. I haven't heard the fan once on it. Have you? I, I really haven't. I think sometimes I'll like put my ear to the device and I'll be like, oh yeah, there's something going on. But yeah, it's, it's very quiet. Yeah. It is super, it is super quiet. It's, it's strangely quiet. I'm like, is it in six months it's going to be like, you know, I'm at a, like a, at an airport or something? I mean, this gets to like the perennial question with the Surface, which is what is it? Who is it for? What do they mean to do with it? Um, you know, Dan asked if it was a gaming machine. I noticed he didn't talk a whole lot about gaming and it's not traditionally been meant for gaming. It's like it's the computer that is just really good and put together really well and also has a kickstand is is kind of my sense of it is that is that how you think about it yeah so i mean you could you could absolutely game on this like you could run a game if you wanted um obviously this isn't what we would recommend you buy if you're going to be playing lots of games right. so i would hesitate to say like oh it's a gaming machine but yeah i mean this is a processor that can absolutely run like Overwatch stuff like that, you know, it's not going to be running Red Dead Redemption two at its highest settings, but sure. it can run a fair number of games, especially esports stuff, without having to bump anything down. Especially if you're not running it at native resolution. Right. Um, the mains are a thing that you need to be aware of is the price. So that it's pretty expensive and it's not great value for the specs that it has. Um, especially, you know, Microsoft conveniently doesn't put the price of the keyboard in the price that it gives you. My test model, which has that top processor. And 16 gigabytes of RAM, combining that with the keyboard and the stylus will net you 1879. Wow. Which is pretty expensive. And that, like, you can get a Dell XPS 13 with that same processor and 16 gigabytes of RAM for, like, a few hundred dollars cheaper. Not to mention, like, a MacBook Pro is with those is also, with an M1 is also going to be a few hundred dollars cheaper. You know, that, that's sort of my hesitation with saying, like, you know, you, you'll, you can play lots of games on this is really the reason to buy this is 
if you want the Surface Pro form factor and you're willing to pay extra for that. Like, it's for people who want, like, the Dell XPS 13 is too heavy. They want something really thin and light, but they still want it to have that kind of power. That's really who it's for. I, you know, I think it's a somewhat specific audience, which doesn't mean it's a small audience, but it is not at all the best value device for this kind of power. It's really all about the thin and light design. It seems to me that, you know, based on your, your review and what you were saying there, is that, like, as par from price, though, this is the least compromised Surface Pro that we've seen yet, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, in prior years, like, even going to the Pro 7, you were compromising on design. If you went to the Pro X, you compromised on power. The Pro 6, the Pro 5, the Pro 4, you compromised on battery life and, like, other things. But, like, you you got pretty usable battery life. You got a great screen. You got great power. You've got, you know, the thin and light chassis that's really modern design. You just have to be willing to... Pay for, pay for it. it. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I mean, this is uh, this is the first Surface Pro that I think I would actually buy for myself as a personal computer. Like, well, it's something that I feel very comfortable saying, like, you could use this as your primary driver. This is also, with the bigger screen, then the Surface mm-hmm. Pro 7 helps with that mm-hmm. as well. It's it's 13-inch rather than 12.3, which, you know, that's a noticeable difference. Like, it feels much more laptop size than it does tablet-sized. This is, like, a laptop that I would buy as a laptop, um, which I you know, haven't necessarily said about Surface Pros in the past. But, you know, it's interesting, you know, normally you don't you know, see people necessarily upgrading from, like, people aren't who have last year's at Dell XPS 13, like, aren't going to be upgrading to this year's Dell XPS 13. But, right. I, you know, I know people who use the Surface Pro 7 as their driver who I would feel comfortable saying you could upgrade to the Surface Pro 8 if you have unlimited money and you and you feel like you want to do that. <laughs> because it is, it is legitimately, it, the, the bigger screen, it's a... It's a nicer body. Like it is a, I think it's a significantly different, different experience. And I think it's more of what Surface users want. The Pro 8 is like a fascinating thing because it is, as someone who likes to pick holes in every single thing, like you can sit there and look at it and and it's pretty hard to like find negatives about it now because they've kind of answered all the things that we've been moaning about for years. Um, (laughs) And I think for me, it's like, it's, it's obviously Microsoft's, you know, macbook air but it's like the macbook air from a few years ago when it was like super expensive well it's pro priced but yeah <laughs> it's pro priced yeah it's but like the macbook air when it first came out was super expensive and it's taken microsoft a while to like even get the pricing right there but it's also like when i look at like people using laptops in coffee shops in london and in you know all the little startup um, places we have you can sit you can spot the surface pro mile off it's it's one of those yeah. like iconic designs, you know, like like the MacBook Air, you can spot a mile off, like you know what that person's using, and it's it's definitely. I think they've got to the point with the design now where it feels like okay, this design and this Pro Eight sort of form factor, I think that will last years now, just like the MacBook Air did. Yeah, I mean there are some there are some lines of laptop where it just gets to a point where people want to pay more, like just for the branding. Like I think the MacBook, yeah. the ThinkPad is one. I think the Surface mm-hmm. Pro is in that category. Like there are people who. They will empty their pockets to get that logo and to get that form and that build. Yeah. Well, we're going to go from a surface that uh, we love and are willing maybe to pay a lot of money for that we understand that is stable and clear (laughs) and obvious and makes sense to a couple of surfaces that maybe aren't those things. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. 
With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, Dan, I reviewed the Surface Go 3. I have like three things to say, and they're not that important. You reviewed the Surface Laptop Studio and uh, boy, oh boy, do I need to hear everything that you think about this thing, and especially its uh, pedestal, its plinth, its MacBook on a stand design. <laughs> yeah, MacBook on a stand design is is pretty accurate. You know, it's, I've been using the thing, used it for a good week or so before you know publishing this review. The first thing I noticed was how much this reminded me of a MacBook Pro in terms of its look, its presentation, its feel, and and a lot of that is a good thing, right? Like the. The build quality is top notch. It feels like, you know, the same as, as a MacBook. Uh, the display is really nice. The keyboard is really nice. The trackpad is tremendous. Like these are some of the best input devices I've ever used on a Windows laptop. You said the keyboard is nice. So that doesn't seem like early MacBook Pros. Well, no. So. Yeah. I, okay. Fair enough. Okay. But it is, you know, comparable to what you're going to get from um, a current MacBook Pro, an M1 Got MacBook it. Pro or whatever. Okay. And then like there's other design details that are just really reminiscent of it. The the corner radius of the, the edges are the same as as like a 2015 MacBook Pro. It has that same kind of sharp edge on its keyboard deck that digs into yeah. your palms, just like a MacBook Pro does. Uh, you know, the, the, the screen's corners are, are the same. So it's very, you know, it's going for this look, it feels like. And it's and it's most of the time it's nailing it. But like, I think the average person looking at the front of this, if they weren't, if the screen wasn't on, would think it's a MacBook. They would not mm-hmm. recognize it as a Windows computer. But there's a plinth, right? That like <laughs> bottom part that is your favorite word ever. Uh, and it like is a stand. And I and I and I thought when this thing was announced that it was going to present all these problems with ergonomics. Like it's going to feel like I'm raising my hands up to type on this thing and stuff. And to be honest with you, you never notice it. You can't see it when it's sitting on a desk in front of you. You can't see it when it's on your lap. It is not so thick that it raises the computer up obnoxiously. So, like, you just don't notice it. And, like, I haven't thought about the plinth at all unless I picked it up. So they got away with it. They they got away with it. That's amazing. There's, like, some weird things in the plinth. Do you think it's going to be, like, an iconic design that we're going to be like, wow, they were geniuses. I wish somebody else had had the courage to make a plinth on their (laughs) laptop. Like, it's a genuine question. Like, it's genuinely possible. Maybe. There's some weird things with it. Like, like one of the things that's really weird is the the model that I've got has the top specs. So it's got Mm -hmm. the uh, discrete GPU. It's an NVIDIA graphics card in there and stuff. So it's got, you know, a pretty beefy cooling system inside of it. Inside that plinth is where all of that, like, cooling system exists, and, like, all the fans are towards the front. So, which I think Monica could attest that, like, most gaming laptops, most laptops with heavy-duty cooling systems, those fans are in the back, and they blow away from you. Yeah. Which is, like, a normal experience. These are all the way at the front, and they blow out the sides. So, if you are, like, doing something heavy on this, running a game video export or whatever, and your your hands are, like, on top of it, you can just, like, feel jets of air, like, shooting out the side of the laptop, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious and I've never, never seen before. Is that going to be a thing that, like, other manufacturers will, do, like, adopt? And, and, and how could it handle more powerful graphics cards and cooling systems? I don't know. It might get a little weird. There might be a limit to, like, how far that can be pushed. I mean, does it feel like it's, like, a like a cool muscle car with side exhaust, you know? Yeah, you know, in the back? it, it kind of could. Like, it's got that <laughs> shaker hood, right? Like, it's, you know, it's, maybe it's, it's it's jetting them out the sides or something. What you're saying is it needs RGB. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe, There's yeah. no RGB. Everything needs RGB. There's no RGB. It has a backlit keyboard, but there's no RGB. So we, we've, we've talked about all the design elements except the thing that the Surface Laptop Studio supposedly exists for, yeah. which is its screen that can lay flat on the top and uh, sort of rotate out <sighs> in those three positions. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So you've got your normal clamshell laptop mode. Uh, you open the lid, looks like a normal laptop, but you can pull the screen forward. So compared to the Surface Book, which this effectively replaces, that had a detachable top part that you could make into a tablet or right. you Rest could click, flip it around, flip it over, stuff like that. I just want to point out that I stand live tiles and Monica stands the detachable screen on the old <laughs> Surface Book and we're the only two people that love those things. Anyway. You, you really are. We suffer in silence, dear. <laughs> the other way to do that's common that we see with laptops is a 360 hinge that like folds the screen back to turn it into a tablet. Right. This uses a two hinge system. There's a hinge in like halfway up the screen and you pull the screen forward and you can pull it partway and park it above the keyboard so that you just have the you just see the trackpad in front of you and the screen is closer to you and you can interact with touch and watch a movie or whatever and it's at like a i don't know 
55 degree angle or something like that. And then you can pull it all the way down and flatten it out to an effective tablet mode, which is meant for kind of that drawing position or, or writing position, because uh, using this as a handheld tablet is pretty clumsy. It's four pounds and 14 and a half inch screen. Like you're, you're not like laying back in bed, holding this thing up, watching a movie. <laughs> so it's got like those two extra modes, uh, which if you are an artist might be very interesting to you. I'm not an artist by any stretch of the imagination, but what I do do a lot on touchscreens, especially touchscreens with pens, is I take handwritten notes when I'm in meetings. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I've been, I use an iPad Pro with a pencil, uh, you know, a Fold 3 with its stylus or whatever, and I take digital notes so that I can access them later. And that's really what I've used the flat down position for, because you, know, you mentioned the Surface Pro 8 has Thunderbolt. This has Thunderbolt ports. I can plug this into my Thunderbolt dock use my main monitor, keyboard, and mouse as my input devices. Then I've got the laptop studio flat down next to me, and I can just write on it with the Surface Pen uh, and take notes. And that's been like a really actual useful experience uh, and like a thing that I would do if I owned this device. It's a little big, it's a little clumsy, but it lets me do it. This is something I've been curious about because the three positions you mentioned are also the three positions that like any two-in-one can yeah. do. Like if I have the Dell XPS two-in-one, I can use it a clamshell, I can fold it into a tablet, I can have it as a tent. Like does the studio like make those better in any way? Like does it improve? Yeah, that's a great point. I don't think it really does. What it, okay. what it does do is it requires less compromise to have those positions available. And what I mean by that is really comparing it to the book. So if we go back to the book, it had that detachable tablet that only Monica loved. <laughs> All of the processor and stuff was in the tablet side of things. And it had a battery. And so there was a limit to how powerful that computer could be because it had to fit into a tablet form factor. And that allowed them to have these various positions. With this, all of the processing power, the processor, the GPU, the SSD, the RAM, everything is in the bottom half of the computer like you would expect from a normal laptop. It's in that plinth. So this has a more powerful processor. It has a more powerful GPU. Uh, it has the ability to change the SSD, things like that that you couldn't do with the book. And Microsoft was really running into a po- uh, performance ceiling with the book's design. And it allows you to have those extra positions should you want them. Do I think most people will want those positions? No. I think most people are going to use this like a normal laptop and they just want a powerful, fancy, Microsoft-made Surface laptop that has more power than the standard Surface laptop. And, and I think that's how this would exist in most people's lives. But they're allowed to do those extra modes if they want. Yeah, I suppose your your standard uh, 360 hinge, like you got the keyboard in the back of tablet mode, that's annoying, whatever. Yeah. But it's also, they are typically thin and lights. And so if you want to have a beefy, powerful, thick laptop, having a screen that folds down in the way that this one folds down is like a different, easier to manage hinge than one that needs to go around a really the thick part of the, the laptop, right? It's quicker to move in between modes with this yeah. than with like a 360 that you are like lifting and flipping and, you know, doing a whole dance with it. I was going to ask, like, how do you move between the modes? And like, how, like, is the screen wobbly and like, is it easy to move between those modes? You know, as for like the screen wobbly, that was another book problem. They had that like really high tech fancy hinge, but because... Eh. <laughs> It's kind of a problem. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, because there was a battery, there was processor, there was fans. It was top heavy, right? It was top heavy, right? And yeah. so if you start poking the screen in normal laptop mode, it's going to be wobbly. Yeah, this is yeah. way more solid. This feels like a normal laptop. Right. And then when you want to get into those other modes, it's a little awkward because like you kind of have to like flick the thing back and then pull it forward. (laughs) And it doesn't sit in any position. It only fits in those three positions, right? Right. You're supposed to put it above the keyboard, but you could put it halfway above the trackpad if you Mm -hmm. wanted. Or you could put it, I don't know, right above your home row. But it doesn't float, like, above the keyboard. Yeah, it doesn't, like, stay uh, unless you put it all the way down. And what's the angles like on the screen? Like, if I sat with my knees up in the air and wanted to bend the screen all the way back, like, how, how far does they go back? It goes back, uh, I, I don't have a protractor to measure it, but I would <laughs> estimate like 100, 135 degrees or so. What kind of laptop reviewer are you? You don't have a protractor. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, what a hack I am. It feels about the same as like what you get with a MacBook. That's what I hate about the Pro. Yeah, it's it's going hit to a, hit a point where it, it won't let you push it back any further. But then when you have it closed, it's like a normal laptop. One question I want to ask all of you is, uh, I haven't had a chance, other than my brief hands-on, to use the new haptic stylus, the Surface Pen Haptic Duo 2, whatever they're calling the thing. Surface Slim Pen 2. Surface Slim Pen 2. Thank you. Uh, How (laughs) is it? How are the haptics? I thought they felt gimmicky, but I only had like five minutes. But from reading your reviews, it seems like I'm wrong, and it's actually pretty good. 
So I liked it, um, but I will say, so the intent is like, like you can feel the vibration in the stylus when you're using it in like a support app. I was using it to write in the journal app. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel it at the default. At the default, the intensity was set at 50. I didn't feel that at all. I cranked it up to 100 and then I could feel it. Yeah. Um, but I will say that if the intent is to like mirror you writing on paper, like it didn't do that. Like, I definitely didn't actually feel like I was writing on paper. Like, there are some styluses that actually, like, do, like, Lenovo's Active Pen, like, really does make it feel like you're writing on paper. This basically felt like I was writing on a stylus and it was vibrating. <laughs> Is that good? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I liked it. I mean, it doesn't feel like paper to me. Uh, like I said, I, I, I use a pencil and an iPad Pro a lot, but in order to make that feel right to me, I put a screen protector on the iPad Pro then. It's like a matte screen protector that adds drag. So this doesn't have that... And so it is like, you know, a hard plastic tip hitting glass. It does slide yeah. around a bit. It feels like you're writing on glass. Hmm. But the haptics are responsive enough to that, like, when I'm jotting down quick notes uh, and I'm handwriting things, like, I, I appreciate that they are there. And I, it feels yeah. nicer than prior Surface devices. Now, it also probably feels nicer because these are 120 hertz screens and they're more right. responsive with the pen than the older Surface devices, which I can never really get to feel normal to me. But I'm not an artist either. I, like, I, I'm just using it for handwritten notes and, and I, I like it for that feature. I would, I would like to have that in other styluses that I use, styli. You know what it feels like to me using the, the Slim Pen 2? So I had the Slim Pen 2 and the original Slim Pen so I could sort of compare them side by side. And it's like, you know, when you use like a 120 hertz display, you use it for like, I don't know, a couple of days or something like that, then you go back to a 60 hertz display, then you notice it. You suddenly yeah. notice what you what you were using is, is better. And I think that is kind of like the Slim Pen 2. It's not always noticeable, the haptics, they're, they're very subtle sometimes. Mm-hmm. But then when you go back to using the other, like the, surf, the regular Surface Slim Pen, it just feels dead. Like it doesn't, it, it feels really weird. It's like really jarring going back to to, to the old way. Huh. Um, that's what it definitely felt like to me. Like I think it's it's very subtle, but like right. you can crank up the uh, intensity of the tactile feedback as well as as they call it. <laughs> but out of the box, yeah, it's it's. I think it's at about the level it should be. All right, I'm sold. And you have to dig into settings as you often do oh, on Windows 11. Newer <laughs> old settings. <laughs> I, I want to talk about some of the drawbacks with this. Though. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to ask you performance as well. So let's let's do performance and bummers. Okay, yeah. So performance, like I said, I've got pretty much a top spec model. It's $2,700 for the version that I have, which is 32 gigs of RAM, <laughs> uh, an 11th gen core i7. It's a four core chip. It's not a six yeah. core chip. And it's got the NVIDIA 3050 Ti uh, graphics card in it. So like if you're familiar with other gaming laptops, this is like kind of a budget mid-range level spec for a gaming laptop. Uh, right. It is not the fastest GPU. It is not the fastest processor. So your your performance expectations should be aligned with that. And that's basically what we're seeing. You can game on this. Absolutely. Microsoft was pointedly calling it for the weekend gamers because they know <laughs> that it's not like, you know, if gaming is your only thing you want to do with this, this ain't the right machine. Uh, and I would fully agree with it. Throttle it, Monday through Friday, yeah. <laughs> but on the weekends, they open it up. Sneak a cheeky Halo game in there after you've done your, your PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, you know, you if you if you play older games, you'll be able to, you know, enjoy them pretty well. Newer yeah. games, AAA titles, you're not going to make it take advantage of that 120 hertz screen because it just can't do it. Like yeah. the, the, the GPU is just not strong enough. If you're doing creative tasks like photo editing, video editing, graphics work and things like that. It's about middle of the pack. Like, it's what you would expect from a 3050 Ti. It performed our video export test pretty well, but not the best. It performed our, uh, we run a Puget benchmark in Adobe Premiere Pro. It ran middle of the pack, exactly what we'd expect from a 3050 Ti. So, like, the the short end of this is you're paying a lot of money for this performance. And you're paying, because, like, you can buy a Razer Blade 15 Advance for, like, $400 or $500 less and smoke this thing all day in performance. Mm -hmm. You could get the Blade... 14 that has an AMD processor and AMD GPU and all day long smoke this thing in performance. But you're not going to have the flexibility. You're not going to quite have as nice the build quality. The design yep. isn't quite as nice. You don't have the pen if you're interested in that, things like that. So it's You don't have the Square Windows logo on the back of it. You don't have the Square Windows logo. Yeah. You don't have the corners cutting off your windows <laughs> in the, yeah. the whole other uh, Windows uh, weirdness. But it's like if, if you're buying machine for gaming on it, Buy something else. If you're buying a computer that you like occasionally want to run the occasional game on and you only want to have one device, this can do it. It can fill in for that. But you really just should temper your expectations. What what's what's the downside that you that you hinted at? Yeah. So aside from the cost, the battery life is really not oh. good. 
No. Uh, no, it's bad. Like, I just, there's no other way to cut this. See, the Surface Book's battery life was so good. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's there's a couple reasons for that, right? Right? Like, there was a battery. It had two batteries. In the display, and there was a battery in the base. And frankly, the battery in the laptop studio is like 40 to 50 per, or 40% smaller. I think it's like 58 mm-hmm. watt hours versus 80 watt hours or whatever that percentage is. Um, someone better at math can do it but but it's a noticeable size difference and that you know as we've learned with our you know Dieter your iPhone reviews the thing that matters the most with battery life is how big the battery is in the thing and this is just has a smaller battery and so when you pair that with a relatively powerful processor a discrete GPU a 120 hertz screen without dynamic refresh as we mentioned you know I get like five hours of battery life High resolution screen too, right? Yeah, it's it's high resolution. Yeah. It's three by two. It's very nice to look at. It's bright. But you know, off the plug, I'm getting five hours on average. If I turn the the display down to sixty hertz um, through the manual settings, I might get six. But like that's pretty bad, and especially bad compared to the Book Three, which could Monica, you know, that thing could last like 10, 11, 12 hours if you needed it to. So really, to me, the way that it means for this is that this is not a great travel portable laptop. This is like, it mostly lives at your desk. Maybe it's docked into another display and you're using the screen in one of its other modes. Uh, Maybe you're using a different keyboard and mouse with it. And then like, oh, you want to go to the couch to write an email. You can do that with this. You can, you know, on the train commute or whatever, you can write a few emails, but you shouldn't expect it to last through a cross-country flight. I mean, my dream is to have this thing be the trackpad and secondary display next to my main monitor. And then, you know, (laughs) a just a keyboard that would be great like that's that's like that is an expensive trackpad i mean it's a twenty seven hundred dollar <laughs> trackpad but like you know it's your whole computer uh but like it could absolutely do that but yeah. the way that you should look at this is like you know with gaming laptops we don't expect them to usually last very long with battery life and that's right. kind of how the expectations you should set with this as well intel gaming laptops specifically yeah intel gaming laptops specifically yeah it's really <laughs> interesting that you know there's no AMD options with this because the, what we've seen and Monica knows through all of her testing is that, you know, the AMD processors and the AMD GPUs are doing really well in laptops. And this has got an Intel one that's not even the top tier Intel and, and things like that. So the performance is good, but the battery life is not. And so that's kind of the compromise now. Speaking of going with an Intel processor when maybe you necessarily shouldn't, I have a brief, very brief thing to say about the Surface Go 3, <laughs> which is uh, I'm disappointed. The design is exactly the same. It's like they didn't get the cool refreshes that, you know, the Pro got. They updated the processors. There's a new Y-series. There's a new Core i3. Battery life is worse than it was last year. It's, like, notably worse. Uh, I'm lucky to get five hours. It's averaging four to four and a half at best. If I go outside and have to crank the screen brightness way up, like, it it can be three. I get why low-end computers don't get refreshed every year. This thing got a refresh last year with a slightly bigger screen. You know, the iPad hasn't, the base iPad hasn't been changed in in eternity. (laughs) But yeah, I don't understand why they don't put an ARM processor in this thing. Because if you're going to make the trade-off of spending a lot of money for a tiny computer, because that's fundamentally what you're doing with the Surface Go, you're spending quite a lot of money to get a tiny computer, you should get something out of it beyond the fact that it's small. And that thing it's either speed, which, you know, they can't really do, or it should be battery life. And this just doesn't provide either of those things. That's embarrassing. Yeah. What's what's interesting is that, like, you mentioned the speed performance. You can get it with a Core i3 or whatever. But realistically, it, would the performance be that different if it had an ARM chip? It's not like that is a fast processor. You're not getting either of what you want out of a small computer here. My assumption is, like, they want this for kids, sure, but they, they this is for, like, IT workers that go to server farms, right? They need they need a thing that they can, like, carry in and, like, hook in and do stuff with. And ARM chips presumably, like, are a problem in that for software compatibility. But, yeah, an ultra-portable computer should have really, really good battery life or at least, like, respectable battery life, and this doesn't hit it. I think the problem with going ARM, though, is that it would, it would just be expensive. Like, all yeah. the Windows and ARM stuff is just so expensive. Well, they did introduce a slightly cheaper version of the Surface Pro X. I think you can get it down to, like, 900 bucks now yeah but it's still it's still up there like i don't feel like they they would have the chip and all the licensing and stuff that they have for it available i guess this is the place to end the extravaganza which is to talk about the elephant in the room which is apple's about to have new macbook pros we assume with m1x chips the m1 chips on the macbook air and the base macbook pro and the imac are all very good incredible consumer chips do you think that Microsoft is right to continue to like focus mostly on Intel instead of leaning a little bit more on AMD or trying harder with 
arm and dealing with all of the hassles that exist there with Qualcomm and et cetera, et cetera. Like, what do you think of their overall sort of chip strategy? So OEMs will always, because I always ask OEMs this about creative laptops that have Intel in them and gaming laptops. And what they will say, and obviously how true this is is a question, is that Intel just gives a few more features that are what these creative power users want. So Thunderbolt is a big one. And QuickSync is a big one. And, you know, you get a little bit more raw power from some of these chips than you will from, like, a, a cheaper AMD chip, which I, I think there is some merit to that. But I think for, for most people, it is probably a worse purchase. Why do we think this is the year Microsoft got religion on Thunderbolt? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, I think, I think they're explaining it a way that they can finally do the security aspects of it, because right. that was obviously the, the, the thing before. And, and to be fair, like on their service devices, they do enable every single security thing that you can possibly enable on Windows that a lot of OEMs just don't. So I think that's probably why. But it's also like they did refresh the Surface Pro 7 with the Surface Pro 7 Plus, which everyone kind of forgot about because it was just business only. Yeah. <laughs> but they refreshed that. So that's like, you know, you guys can go and use that if you want the old sort of design and stuff and you don't need Thunderbolt. So like they had that. I think it's kind of a thing like if you look at like if you look at gaming laptops, if you like if you look at what Asus did this year when they put out the Zephyrus G15, which is an AMD system, and the Zephyrus M16, which is an Intel system. And the Zephyrus M16 is much more expensive, but it also has it has more display options for creators. And it's sort of very clearly being pitched at a more specific, more like power user, more like professional audience. Whereas the G15, which is AMD powered, is much more of a ma- big mainstream consumer purchase for people who just want to play a lot of games. I think that's kind of the, the studio is, I think, clearly more of an M16 than it is a G15. Well, the one Surface we did not uh, get to extravaganzize, <laughs> I don't know, is the, the Surface Duo 2, uh, the Surface Duo Over, as uh, we, we dubbed it last year when we were expecting this to come. That will come at, when, it, when it arrives, and when it does, you can be sure that we'll talk about it on The Vergecast. The Vergecast will also be back this Friday with the regular chat show, and then we'll have more of these Tuesday episodes going forward. Really hope you're able to listen. I want to thank you all for coming on. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you should. I'm Backlon. Tom is Tom Warren. Dan is DC Seifert. Monica is MC Squared 96. And uh, get a shot. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.